Hey friends, this is Sarah Beth with 127 Worldwide, and I'm so excited to share with you a sneak peek teaser episode of a larger project that we've been working on this year. And really, we just want to share inspiring and thought-provoking stories from our partners in the communities where they live in Kenya, Uganda, and Guatemala. This is definitely a rough draft, but we'd love to hear some feedback from you on this form of storytelling and podcasting. We're really excited about the project, and we're hoping to release some more episodes in 2023. Thanks so much for listening. Fifteen years ago, this was all a sugarcane field. Looking at it today, you'd never guess that the property that Tumani Miles of Smiles sits on was ever anything other than a thriving school and children's home. But today, there's signs of life everywhere. Kids learning in classrooms or playing games outside of beautifully colored buildings, a women's choir practicing in the chapel, agricultural workers tending to the livestock and crops that help provide for the needs of the children and employees. Tamaini is a word that means hope, and the story of Rose's work in this community is a story of hope in God. So this is a school, it's kindergarten through eighth grade. And uh, about 10 classrooms are in this front part. And there's actually another wing behind it that's also navy and green as well, where there's a computer lab, a cafeteria, uh, a kitchen for the cooks to cook lunch for the children. If you look to the right, there's an administration building where they have offices, a teacher's lounge, a library. You can see a little, some patches of grass, but this is actually a soccer field where the kids play soccer, tag, games like have recess, things like that. And you can see teachers standing on the sidelines as well. Uh, not this time, but a few years ago, I've actually played some relay races with the kids right here on this field. Yeah, so the soccer field is in between the school and the children's home. And also Rose's home is here. You can see straight ahead. Um, there's a huge water tower right in front of us, and then to the right of that is a, where a lot of the chores get done. You can also you can see a lot of activity during the day here with the kids washing clothes, washing dishes, working with the, the house moms on different things like that. Uh, and then in between the children's home and, the, and where Rose lives, there are a lot of agricultural projects. So you'll see donkeys, cows, chickens, and if you keep walking through the livestock, you'll actually eventually get to the fish ponds where there are several hundred fish in, in two fish ponds. Uh, so it is really crazy to think about what it used to look like versus what it looks like today. It really is amazing that Rose and I ever cross paths. In 2006, I was working for a sports ministry that recruited American students to go help American missionaries overseas. 
So I got this email from a lady in Kenya who was starting a school and wanted soccer equipment. That day I sent only one email and that was it. That's Rose, by the way, sharing her part of the story. It wasn't uncommon that we would get requests from people in other countries asking for teams to come or for specific things. And usually it was easy for me just to say, no, like that's not exactly what we do and move on with the job that I was hired to do. But something just stood out with this email and I couldn't let it go. To Miney, it was mostly just a dream then. Rose was living in the city and supporting the schooling and housing of a few kids from the village out of her own modest salary. Sarah Beth didn't know it at the time, but Rose was at a crisis point. One day, I received a phone call, and the teachers were like, Madam, we do not have maids, we do not have beans. We, like everything, they had run out of everything. And I was like, oh my goodness. That night I prayed and I was like, God, I think you just have to provide. I don't know from where. So I exchanged a few emails with this lady and was just really intrigued with her responses. And so I went to my boss and just asked if we could possibly send the soccer balls and the pumps and the needles like like this lady had requested. In the nonprofit world, there's a term called mission drift, and it's where there's so many needs. And over time, you say yes to things that really weren't your original plan or vision, and it just becomes messy. And so at the time, I did not appreciate that my boss was not in favor of me wanting to grant this lady's request for sports equipment. But now, like looking back, I really do appreciate the wisdom that she showed um, with having boundaries and setting guidelines for that. And so it left me with a predicament of what am I able to do to help this lady? And I just began to email her back and forth. We became pen pals. At the time, I was in my late 20s, and I really didn't have much to offer. But what I could offer was a friendship. And so that's really where we started, and we just began to grow and develop a friendship over email. We became frequent. We became friends. After we were pen pals for about a year, I was just compelled to go visit Kenya to meet this lady to see what she was doing in this rural part of Kenya. And so the summer of 2007, I recruited some people to go with me, and we met Rose at the Nairobi airport. So our team took an eight-hour bus ride through the night, and we arrived at Tumaini, where the property was a rented house for the school and a rented house that some of the most desperate children were living in at the time. Um, so it wasn't actually the amenities that attracted us to what God was doing at Tumaini, but once we met Rose, we knew that we wanted to hear more about her vision and her passion for vulnerable communities, particularly in rural areas. And so one of my most vivid memories about that first trip is we would actually take chairs from the school and sit under an avocado tree and just ask Rose questions about what she wanted to do, what her hopes were for the future, and why she felt compelled to start a school with so little resources and so little help from anyone else. One thing I could notice about Rose from the very beginning is she was motivated by her own experience. She had grown up in a rural area and she knew the limitations, particularly for children receiving education in rural areas. And that's really what fueled her passion and her motivation to start the school. This is uh, out of my own uh, life. 
um, as a, a child when I was growing up. I grew up from a very poor family. Um, my dad wasn't working, my mom wasn't working. All my siblings did not have that opportunity to join high school. So everything actually came into my mind during the time of joining the high school. Um, because when I finished my exams, I mean, I knew I will not, because all my siblings had not. After finishing school, Rose went to work. She felt a burden to care for children in rural communities. Using her own savings and salary, she was able to hire some teachers and rent a house to start a school for poor children. But the needs in the community were great, so more children kept showing up. And they needed more than just education. Many of them were hungry and without shelter. For years, Rose would work Monday through Friday in Nairobi and travel back to the village by bus on the weekends to oversee the children's care and education. All the while, the vision that God had given her kept expanding. In the beginning, Tumani didn't have running water or electricity. Um, actually, the well wasn't dug until 2014 for the running water, and the electricity went through a series of generators, solar power, and really just in the last few years have they had reliable electricity. Rose is definitely a visionary. She's a dreamer and a doer. But I also think the more time you spend with her, you see how much she just cares so deeply for the children and how she loves them well, um, even to the extent of giving up her own breakfast so that the kids have something to eat before they go to school. And so I've been able to watch this over the years, just unimaginable situations of her finding children in a sugarcane field or a child down by the river was delivered to her doorstep. And she's held these kids, and many of them have passed away in her arms because they're at such a desperate place before they even get to her. And so you just see how God has taken these difficult situations and just shaped this woman who is a visionary, is a leader, but loves children well and cares so deeply for them. And it's just an inspiration for anyone who knows Rose to, just to see how strong that she is and how God has grown her through these difficult situations. I know even as I'm explaining some of this, it's hard to hear and it's hard maybe to listen to for you, but I want you to think about um, many of you have held a newborn baby in your arms and even a healthy baby in a nursery, in a temperature-controlled room with clean hands, you still feel the fragileness of a new life. And so I want you to try to transpose those feelings that you have to rural Kenya, where literally Rose will get a phone call that they found a baby who's at the police station. They found him in a sugarcane field, and they don't know how long he's been there. And I'm I've known Rose for many years, and this has happened numerous times where she kind of has the person out or the reputation in town as this lady will take care of anybody and will care for kids well. And so we're going to call Rose on speed dial when we find a child. And um, just to have a baby in a fragile situation literally dying in your arms and how that would shape you and affect you. And so when I say Rose cares about kids, it's in a, it's in a different level than I really want to emphasize uh, how much she's altered her life. She gave up a good job in the city. She knows that this is what God has called her to do, and she's running full speed ahead 
um, after this calling of caring for vulnerable people. Tumaini is the Swahili word for hope, and it truly is a beacon of hope for this community that's surrounding the compound. And that's another thing that's been really neat for me to watch over time is how the community's attitude towards Rose and the school and the children's home has shifted over the years. Um, One of the main things that comes to mind when I think about that is this idea of running water. When we needed water, I didn't know what to do. I went and asked someone to come and fabricate this tower, and I bought the tanks. I mean, this thing stood here for more than one year. And people would be like, Rose, I mean, where is the water? I mean, did you just raise this water tower and tanks with all the sunshine and there's no water? And I'll be like, I'm still trusting God for water. And I know this tower and the tanks are not here in vain. Some people would laugh at me sometimes and they would be like, where's the water? I mean, it's one year. And then they started like counting months, years. But I'm telling you and confirming that we have a faithful God. Eventually, we had a borehole 240 feet drilled and we have running water that is helping the school, the children's home and the community. And even those who are asking, where's the water, Rose? They are now happy because we have water. I can say that we have a God and He hears our prayers. It doesn't matter how long it takes, it took more than one year, but we have water that will serve this institution for years until Jesus comes back. She not only just kept the clean water on the compound, she put a spigot outside where people and families from the community could receive clean water. And to see the change of where Uh, These people had to walk before to get water during dry season. The creek had dried up and just the desperate situation that these families were in throughout certain times of the year. Providing water to neighboring families is just one example of Rose's generosity. And once you meet her, you realize that's just the kind of person that she is. Um, She's always thinking of the community as a whole, and she's always looking for ways that God can use her to elevate the entire community and to build up everyone around her. It's not uncommon for me to wake up to a message from Rose. Because of the time difference, the end of her day is often the beginning of mine. And so through the years, I'll hear words of encouragement or prayer request. And then every once in a while, we'll hear an urgent message. And so a few months ago, I woke up to one of these urgent messages. Most of the time, it's just a friendly message or a prayer request. But I could tell this message was different, and it was definitely urgent. And so she went on to explain that the transformer had blown in the village a few miles away. And because Tumaini was on the power line at the very end, it actually blew up the motor of the pump that was getting water from the well. We woke up and uh, we had no water and the, the generator was working, but the pump wasn't working. And when the pump is not working, actually we will not have water. And then we have about 60 people, uh, I mean, 60 children in the home. And we are like, okay, now what do we do? Mm -hmm. We had to go to the creek (laughs) to go back to our 
previous life to get water, to draw water from the creek. And they told us that uh, it was the, the motor, and we needed to get another motor. And also, the motor is 240 feet underground. underground. They had to remove all the pipes, <laughs> and replace the motor, and insert them back. I've actually had a front row seat to watching the evolution of clean water come to Tumaini, and I knew that without that pump to, to pump clean water, it, it was a true state of emergency for the children and the families in the surrounding area to receive clean water. And it really took me back to the pre-well days as I began to think of how um, the students at Tumaini would have to go get buckets of water from a creek about a half mile away and then depending on the time of year if the if it was dry season or wet season the creek was basically muddy sludge sometimes during the year and so I could tell that Rose was really stressed out about the situation but she was also mostly asking us to pray for her. I think for us it's kind of hard to understand exactly the ramifications of not having clean drinking water and particularly for Rose not having that for most of her life and then having the well I think her mind kind of went to kids that she has known that have died of typhoid and I knew that she was worried also because people in the community were counting on her to provide clean water for their families in the village and so there's no way of knowing um, how the situation was going to come about but I know that Rose was feeling the weight of all of this on her shoulders. If we wake up in America and turn our faucet on in the morning and water doesn't come out, sure, it's an inconvenience. You want to call the plumber. You probably have to go to the garage and get some bottled water to brush your teeth. But it's not a life and death situation. And it's something that you feel pretty confidently you can get resolved in a day, maybe two, if that were to happen. So for Rose, when the pump stopped working, it wasn't just an inconvenience that was going to set her back for a day or two. She was carrying this emotional weight of being the leader of a community and a school and other people depending on her and just remembering the things that she's experienced in the past because of not having access to clean water. I said, God, I mean, what do we do? We need water. How should we help, and when should we get involved? The 2009 book, When Helping Hurts, brought new attention to the ways in which good intentions can actually cause more harm than good for vulnerable communities around the world. Helping the world's vulnerable can be structured in three categories. Relief, rehabilitation, and development. Relief is urgent aid that's provided to the helpless after a major disruption, and it should be temporary to avoid creating dependency. Rehabilitation or rebuilding is the work of bringing a person or a community back to baseline, how things were before the crisis, and it involves working with the intended beneficiaries because they are no longer helpless. Development, on the other hand, is the ongoing process of restoring people and communities to right relationships with God, self, others, and creation. There is a time for relief work, and it's typically in response to a major crisis, but when relief is misapplied, when the right course of action should actually be rehabilitation or development, the consequences can be disastrous. But knowing when to apply which type of aid isn't always simple. What are Rose's options? What can we do? What should we do? Is this a time to offer financial help or is it a time to offer relational support? How can we help without hurting? 
I love that our staff is able to collaborate on things like this. And one question that actually came up from one of our staff members was, is this a life or death situation where we need to interject a quick solution? Or are there other opportunities for us to um, sit back and support Rose as she's sorting through all the different options that she has in the situation? After our staff deliberated and we went back to Rose and asked her some more questions, we concluded that the situation was not a life or death urgent situation and that we really had some time to think through some other possibilities and to serve as a support to Rose as she was working to reconcile the situation. I do think that was the best decision, but that was really difficult for me. My personality wants to just figure out what's wrong, figure out how I can help people and jump right in and help them. And so I think this whole process of learning healthy engagement and when it rubs up against what I want to do naturally has been a really difficult journey for me. But in the end, I see that God has put Rose at Tumaini, and she's a very capable, independent, and strong person. And really, our role is to support what God is already doing through her. I was like, we have cows. Why can't we just sell the cows so that we uh, at least, you know, save the situation? So that is we, we called some people. They came and we sold the cows and we, we paid the, the Davis and Shatleaf. They came, they bought the motor and they came they replaced the motor. That's amazing. Yeah, so that is what happened. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and that is how we, we worked it out. Mm -hmm. I mean, the cows were there and they helped. Mm -hmm. So it was good to have them. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so where did the cows come from? So you're definitely going to need to know a little bit of backstory about the Tumaini Cow Project. About five years ago, Rose had a problem of kids going to high school and not having high school fees. And so she basically started a cow leasing program where she would give a cow to different families in the community. They would be responsible for taking care of the cow, feeding, milking, all the other responsibilities that go along with having a cow. And she would also send people to check on the status and how the families were taking care of the cows. This included some breeding opportunities. So once a cow had a calf, it expanded the project at Tumaini to where sometimes the family would bring the cow back to Tumaini for it to be able to support the kids who live in the children's home. And so over the course of five years, there were about 20 cows that were now part of Tumaini's property because of the cow project. So even today, as you walk around to Miney, the compound, or at the trade school, you will definitely see a plethora of cows, and even the manure from the cows is what operates the generator through the biodigester. Okay. Has to be 
As we were reflecting on this whole situation, it really brought me back to the reason I started 127 Worldwide in the first place. And that was that we wanted to truly have partnership and focus on empowerment with local leaders who were doing what God had called them to do. And with that, there are going to be different situations of deciding maybe sometimes the best course of action is to sit back and um, just walk alongside of people, not to come in and rescue and to be the savior of the situation, but that God has allowed us to work together. And it's dif- it's a difficult conversation. It's a difficult responsibility for both the partners and for us, but it's worth it. And so for in this situation, it was um, just an opportunity for us to sit back and truly walk alongside of Rose as she um, figured out the best solution for the problem with the well. It really does break my heart when I think about how people over the last 15 years have had the best intentions and wanted to help Rose and maybe even had great motives, but how sometimes our desire to help really undermines Rose's leadership and just her as a person and as a sister in Christ. And so I think it's good for us to think through all that we can learn from Rose and watch as she takes steps of obedience with very little resources, how God has grown her faith and really what God is doing through her obedience and her work at Tumaini, that's gonna make a difference for generations to come. We talk a lot about empowerment at 127 Worldwide, and I think this story is just a beautiful picture of taking the time, working together, seeing what we already have, how has God already blessed us, where do we see him working, who has he placed around us that we can work together with, and then using all of that to meet a need in the present moment. And I just think that's a beautiful picture of the body of Christ working together with the resources that God has provided. At first glance, it seemed like the best thing we could do was immediately spring into action. That's often the case in the chaos of urgency. But if we had jumped right into action, we might have missed the bigger picture of what God was doing. Through years of building and working on a relationship, we've actually already seen the incredible ways that God has gifted Rose creativity and innovation, courage and determination, all ordered by a deep love of community and a deep faith in God. When this crisis sprouted up, the default assumption was that Rose needed help. But upon deeper reflection, that help wasn't in the form we might have anticipated. It was help in relational support, in prayer, in affirming the ways that God has already provided. The Cow Project at Tumani was part of God's provision for their needs. He blessed Rose with a creative and an entrepreneurial mind, and she put it to work to meet the needs of her community. As the Lord gave growth, the number of cows climbed. In fact, Rose had begun to think they might have too many cows. Perhaps it was better to thin the herd. Isn't that amazing? When this need arose, they had cows to sell. The Lord had provided in a season of plenty for a time of need. Isn't this what empowerment looks like? that in a time of need, what God has already given can be put to use to meet that need? We believe God is at work all around the world in communities like this. He has gifted his people in innumerable ways. But when we step in with quick fixes that assume the wrong things, we risk robbing the community of the opportunity to lean on God's provision. There's a place for the global body of Christ to work together. And this is work that we're passionate about. 
but it's good and wise to look and listen prayerfully first before jumping into action so that we can observe where God is already at work and as his body focus our efforts there. Why risk robbing the roses of the world of the strength and dignity that God has bestowed on them? Why not instead look for ways to cultivate the gifts he has given instead of over-relying on the gifts of just a few? What's next for Timani? What challenges and opportunities are on the horizon? How can we help Rose steward what God has given and prepare for future crises? Could it be infrastructure to protect valuable equipment or building up emergency reserves? Maybe it's something that neither Rose nor we can think of independently, but working together in concert as the one body of Christ, leaning on the complementary gifts that he's given to us, we can do it together. There's still plenty of work to do, but the future is bright at Tumaini and in vulnerable communities all around the world. God is at work in and through his people, and we have a part to play in his redemptive work 